What are kids really thinking and feeling? Sometimes it's hard to know. The thousands of letters and emails kids send to Highlights Magazine every year help us keep our finger on the pulse of kids. We think they can also help you. So each week on this podcast, we share a few of the messages we've received from kids and we discuss them with an expert. Lean in and listen to learn what kids want their grown-ups to know about being a kid today. I'm Christine French-Cully, and you're listening to Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights, I have a problem with controlling my temper. I your at night, and I miss I my best. I get keys. I want your highlights. Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights. Dear Highlights. Full disclosure, I'm an unabashed baby lover. I'm the person who feels like she won the lottery if she's seated on a plane next to a baby. I'll look at as many baby pictures as you care to show me. And few things give me more pleasure than receiving the news that a family I know and love is expanding. Babies are wonderful. They bring joy. And let's keep it real, they also can bring some disruption for a little while. It's a big change for everybody, including big brother or big sister who may experience a mix of emotions they can't quite sort out all on their own. And this is true not only of toddlers and preschoolers, but also for children in middle childhood. Here's what some Highlights kids told us about expecting a new baby. Dear Highlights, I'm going to have a new brother or sister, and everyone tells me that it will be annoying. What should I do? That came from Denisha. And then Sierra wrote, Dear Highlights, My mother and father divorced when I was a baby. Four months ago, my father had a baby with his wife. Now my mother is pregnant. I feel like nobody's going to care about me anymore. P.S. What can I do? Dear Highlights, from Maya, New York. I'm a big sister. I feel like my baby sister gets too much attention. Have any advice? Thank you. And then there's this child who sent us an email containing just a single sentence but the sentence offers some solid hints about some of the adjustments that might be happening in his household. Dear Highlights, my baby brother screams during car rides. I love that last letter. My guest today is Dr. Erin O'Connor, director of New York University's Early Childhood Program and a full professor holding a doctorate in human development and psychology from Harvard Graduate School of Education. A researcher as well, Erin is co-founder of Scientific Mommy, a platform designed to bring together parents, researchers, and teachers around issues of child development. Dr. O'Connor is also a mother of a one-year-old and a 12-year-old, so there's no disputing that she is a true expert on this subject. I'm delighted that she agreed to join us today to share what she knows from both her training and her personal experience. Dr. O'Connor, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, and as you said, I feel like, I don't know if expert is the right term, but I'm definitely living in the <laughs> moment of siblings. <laughs> well, there's nothing like a real life experience. Yeah, So true. <laughs> and and you gave me permission to call you Erin. Oh, yes, please. Okay, very good. So first of all, first things first, how is the little one? She's great. So. Um, We have a 
four, now 14 month old, actually, I keep saying 12 month old. I, I like, don't want to give up that baby phase. I'm like, oh, yeah. because she's technically a toddler. Um, but a 14 month old who we adopted last March, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and she has been doing amazing. She spent um, two weeks in the NICU. So, you know, we had we met her under these crazy circumstances of a pandemic and, and being in a hospital. Uh, and she just, she's been thriving. So it's really been a wonderful, wonderful um, 14 months with her. <laughs> That's lovely. And how is the 12 year old? The 12 year old is great. Uh, she, you know, there was a little bit of adjusting, adjusting to do uh, when our youngest uh, arrived because a, we found out the day that she arrived that we were going to be uh, her parents. So there was no sort of lead up buffer time. Um, and she had just uh, gone remote for school and we were going to have to leave New York where we live um, because our youngest was not born in New York. So there were a lot of transitions um, and a lot of adjustments to be done. Uh, and I definitely would say there was a lot of excitement at the beginning around, you know, being a big sister and we had been in the adoption process for a long time, although not with this particular family that we matched with for a long time. So there's been a lot of anticipation about becoming a sibling. And then when the reality sort of started to sink in and especially when we brought the little one home and, you know, she was crying at night and we were in, we, we, if we were here, it would be the same situation, but we were renting a small apartment where, where we were uh, staying. So when the baby was crying at night, we were all up, you know, and I did notice that, you know, she was a little bit upset about the whole thing, which then made me upset about the whole thing, right? Because yeah. you want your children to be happy, right? And sometimes, you know, what is this amazing moment in your life where you're bringing this other child into your family? Uh, sometimes it's hard to realize that for the, the sibling, it can also be a, a little bit of a time of disappointment. Um, and, you know, there might be feelings of anxiety and loneliness that come up for them. And uh, that was, to me was, was just hard to see, you know, you want to fix everything as a parent. Right. Um, but we really, I, we grew so much as a family going through it. Right. So talking about it, talking about, you know, how much love siblings bring to one another and really like having those sort of deeper conversations because she is 12 years old. So we were able to really talk a lot about these more complex emotions around becoming a sibling. So while it was, you know, hard as a mom kind of to, to hear some of it, it was, um, it was really rewarding. And I think that is an advantage of having a child in middle childhood who's having a sibling is that you can bring up some of these more, you know, deeper emotions um, and work through them verbally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, there's probably no predicting how an older child will react. Um, kids all react a little differently. Uh, and because, and because you, your child was adopted, um, you probably didn't have those nine months to prepare or seven months to prepare. <laughs> um, how did you share the news that a new baby would be joining the family? And, and generally speaking, is there an ideal time for moms to, and dads to tell their children uh, what's about to happen? 
I think that's a great question. So for us, because we went through adoption, uh, it took us, well, five years <laughs> until we actually, you know, had a successful match. Um, so there was a lot of talking about becoming a sibling. Um, but then she didn't get to find out like us until literally the day that the baby was born that she had a sibling. So there was a lot of, which I think a lot of us who have gone through adoption will, will you know, agree on is that there's a long, often sort of time of anticipation and then a very quick <laughs> sort of, you know, arrival time. Um, but in terms of if you are pregnant and, you know, you have an, a slightly older child, I would say definitely before you start showing, just because you don't want there to be like mystery around what's going on kind of thing. Um, and also give the child time to prepare. Uh, but at the same time, if you have a slightly younger child, I might not tell them right at the beginning, because there's also, you know, the sense of time that children have when they're, you know, let's say two years old, it's a very different understanding of time than we have. Right. So they might sort of start thinking about it and get excited. And then like nothing happens, (laughs) you know, they just see mom kind of looks different, but there, there's no baby. Um, so I think sometimes that can be a little confusing for kids. So I think a lot of it depends on the age of the child, but definitely, um, for older children, I would say, you know, relatively early. And also you have to be comfortable, right? For your children who are verbal that they probably will tell everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So once, as long as you're comfortable with, you know, the cat meat out of the bag, <laughs> yeah. let them, let them know. So if their initial reaction is disappointing, um, how might a parent best respond? So I would say, you know, be prepared for the disappointment. Um, it's uh, so much of what we do as parents, right? We send these nonverbal cues and messages to our children. And I think if you're sort of prepared for that, maybe you won't, you know, show that, of course, it's going to like break your heart <laughs> that your, your child's disappointed, right? But maybe like if you kind of prepare and recognize that it's totally a normal reaction um, that you'll be able to sort of take a deep breath and, um, and not maybe show that that was a little bit heartbreaking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) right. And I think then just labeling the child's disappointment and, you know, accepting it and not trying to make it go away and not trying to make them feel better. Um, but really saying, I understand that you're disappointed. If, if you yourself, you know, went through this experience, maybe you can tell them your personal anecdotes of when, you know, you became a big sister, let's say, um, or one of your friends did and to just to make them feel more comfortable and then just also sitting, allowing them to sort of sit with that disappointment for, you know, a couple of days or however long, like, I know sometimes we want with our kids to say, okay, like we've had that conversation, let's kind of move on and, you know, focus on the positive, <laughs> but really allowing them to work through that before the baby arrives can be really helpful. Yeah, that's such an empathetic response. Uh, And actually, this sort of technique of validating or this practice of validating kids' feelings um, before we move in to help them sort it out, just making sure that they feel heard, uh, keeps coming up in this podcast. Uh, That seems to be the first step in sorting out things and and helping your children get to the the right place where they can cope. They, They first need to feel heard and be validated. 
Totally. And also to understand where they're at too, right? I mean, sometimes we put things on our kids in terms of um, maybe they're not stressed about something or maybe they're not disappointed. (laughs) But if we are saying to them, like, I know that, you know, you're disappointed, but they haven't said they're disappointed. (laughs) Oh, that's a good point. Right. (laughs) Then you're kind of like putting that, you know, your own maybe anxiety onto them. So if you can just sit back and listen and sort of figure out what their real experience is, it can help so much. Yeah. You know, sometimes for fun, because again, I do like babies. Um, I've watched some videos on social media of kids hearing the news, uh, that they're about to become a sibling. I'm not sure why parents would record that and post it, but in some, (laughs) yeah, but in some situations, um, some of the older children, kids in middle childhood seem to be a little bit embarrassed by the news that their mother's pregnant. And that's probably because they are beginning to understand how it happened and they're not really comfortable with that yet. And they are, they are a little bit mortified, uh, have you heard similar stories and how might a parent deal with that kind of reaction? Yes. So well, one of my favorite stories is a friend of mine um, had an oops baby at um, 49 and she was taking her oldest daughter on college tours and she was seven months pregnant. So <laughs> her daughter was mortified. She was like, you can't, you know, mom, I don't, I don't want to have you come on these college tours with me, which of course is breaking my friend's heart. But, um, Uh. (laughs) right. But I think in, you know, of course in middle childhood, you know, you see this a lot too, but I think acknowledging again, you know, to the child, I know that you might be a little embarrassed, but you know, we all have babies and you know, this is a, total normal part of life. Um, and then I think, you know, for the mom, we're so, I, you know, many of us are so guilt. Um, we get, we feel guilty easily. Right. (laughs) So you're like, Oh, I feel horrible that my child is, you know, embarrassed to have, have me here or whatever. But if it's not the pregnancy, it's going to be like the mom jeans you're wearing. (laughs) 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 So true. Right. So true. <laughs> so it'll, I think that'll, it'll be a quick, you know, period of embarrassment, but it will pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. After this short break, we'll continue our conversation. Please stay with us. It's true. Highlights answers every letter we receive from children. If you're curious about how we reply or want to hear more about what kids are thinking and feeling, you'll want to read Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, the book behind this podcast. It's publishing in August and available for pre-order now, wherever you buy your books. So as you said, um, working on acceptance of the change that's about to come, the change in family structure and the change in roles uh, really begins before the baby arrives. And as you say, you didn't really have a lot of time to um, prepare your daughter or help your daughter prepare. But if you had, (laughs) and thinking about other parents uh, who are having biological children and do have many months to help their kids get ready, what kinds of things might parents do to bring uh, their school-aged children along while they're awaiting the arrival? Sure. So I think there are lots of great ways. I mean, 
now with ultrasounds being like so common throughout the pregnancy, right? Showing the ultrasound pictures sort of as the baby, you know, grows. And, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but I felt like I got to, with my first who I had biologically sort of almost get to know her through those ultrasounds, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's the same with siblings. You can really bring them in for that. Um, preparing together for the baby coming home, whether it's, you know, getting the clothes, getting the bottles ready, the room ready, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but really helping to prepare um, together. So it feels like a team effort. Um, constantly reminding the sibling of their important role in the family. So there's going to be so much focus on the baby, right? But reminding the sibling of how much, how much they are loved, what an important part of the family they are, how important a role they will play in this young child's life that's coming. Um, so really making them feel very validated. Um, and you know, what's interesting is that I did, this wasn't the case. I don't think when I had my first, but a lot of hospitals now have sibling classes to help prepare kids um, for what it'll be like to be an older sibling. So you get to go to the hospital, a lot of them like where um, the birth is going to take place with your, you know, mom or parent. And they, the whole class is focused on being a sibling. Um, So it sort of makes, I think the child feel important, right? In this, in this new family change. Um, But I also think that you know, with all that said, you don't want to make the older child feel like they have to take on this completely new role, right? So you kind of want it to be more of an organic experience. Like they probably will want to help with bath time and they probably will want to, you know, read to the baby, but making it sort of a forcing like, well, now you're going to have to do this, this, and this because mommy has this new baby. It can make the the older one feel like they're kind of being pushed aside. Right. Um, and that's when you might see some sort of resentment and acting out behavior. So it's a fine line. You want to make sure that they feel like they are playing a very important role, which they are, but not forcing it on them. So maybe parents would be advised to let their, their older sibling, the older child take the lead take their cues from yeah. the older child because that's that seems to be really a common fear at least based on the mail we get from children they really are afraid that the new baby is going to overshadow them and, and there's just not going to be enough love and attention to go around uh, totally yeah and it's and understandable right <laughs> it is because the truth is they probably are going to receive a little less attention because you're only human <laughs> there's only so many hours in the day exactly I think too, like with older children and this, I mean, if sort of you have the luxury of having somebody else to help at some point during, you know, the the week or the day or whatever, is having an activity that just the two of you do together that they can kind of count on. Like, you know, if it's on every Saturday morning, you guys get coffee together, um, you know, you go to Starbucks and it's something that's just theirs. That's, you know, time that they know they're going to have, even if, things get a little chaotic, <laughs> which they always do, right? <laughs> um, that, you know, mom or dad or will be there for this time with just me at this, you know, particular place or whatever activity. That's so important. And it seems like just trying to keep the older kids grounded by keeping their schedules and routines the same as much as possible uh, might be another good way to keep some resentment from building. Definitely. Yeah, because the fewer transitions, I think the better, <laughs> right? So this is a huge transition in and of itself. So if you're also having to then 
change, you know, everything about where, where, how you get to school and, you know, um, it can be hard, but the reality is, you know, it often has to happen and children will get through it. Um, uh, and it, you know, the more we talk, I think to our children too, about why things are, then the less maybe they'll think of it as like being pushed aside, but more like this is just a logistical thing. <laughs> you know? Right. right. So what would you say to the child who says his, his new baby just screams all the time when they're in the car together? <laughs> oh, I love that. Line, right? It's so real. It's so real. <laughs> it's so real. <laughs> well, and, and I had a, my, my oldest one used to scream all the time in the car. So I'm like, oh, I feel your pain. <laughs> and I was the mom. <laughs> oh, well, I would say, you know, Sometimes kids do scream, but they, they will grow out of it. <laughs> and you're just modeling such great behavior by not screaming. There you go. Yeah. Maybe hand them some earmuffs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other tips? I know you've done a lot of reading and research on this subject. Do you have any other tips for a smooth transition for expanding families? That leap from being a one-child family to a two-child family is not nothing. <laughs> It is definitely not nothing. (laughs) I think, you know, so much of it too is just allowing each child to be their own, right? So, and I found myself starting to do this and I was like, no, 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 is not comparing kids, right? So, you know, even it comes out of, you know, often sort of like a good, you know, like, oh, you know, you used to like to, you know, sleep on your tummy and, you know, Haley will not (laughs) kind of thing. Like, but they shouldn't be sleeping on their back. That was a bad example, but um, (laughs) just I could tell that, you know, even with just like little benign kind of comments like that, that my older one was starting to feel a little bit like, wait, why, why, why am I being compared? You know, I'm me and this Mm. New little person is here, and she's her, and um, and even though I like I'd read and researched about that, you know, I still found myself sort of falling into it, and I had to catch myself. So, um, I think it's hard too because grandparents often compare. Like, if the kids go to the same school, they get compared, right? You're so right. different than your older brother. Um, but really, as much as we can avoid that, um, at least as parents, I think it's it's a good thing. Um, and then really. I I sort of, I hammer this home and, and as you were saying, it's been brought up in a lot of the podcasts, but this acceptance of emotion, I think is just a really important one. Um, I noticed it again with my older one, like, she's like, you know, it's okay for me to be sad. (laughs) I was like, oh, I talk about that all the time and I'm not even doing it myself. You know what I mean? But just, you know, I think there's, especially if the the jump from one to two happens when the older one is like kind of growing up. You know what I mean? In some respects, like, you know, at 12, you can have these really deep conversations and, but at the same time, right. They're, they're young children. And this is like a really big, you know, turn of events for them. So um, I think the te- my tendency, and I think a lot of parents' tendencies is to try to be like, it's fine, it's fine. Like, and then just go and kind of like focus on the younger one just because they're screaming or <laughs> pulling out the electrical cord or whatever. Um, but not to, like, at least I felt like, okay, before I attend 
to whatever issues going on with the baby. I need to just like resolve this issue with my older one. And that was like not the right way to handle it. And I knew in my head it wasn't the right way, but I think you, you fall into that pattern of, okay, like triage, let's get everybody like back, you know, on, on the right path um, and not feeling like you have to do that. Right. It's the triage that makes it also challenging. But I think what I hear you saying is we need to be as patient with the older child as we are with the younger child and not have, yes. not place adult expectations uh, on, on the older child because they are still children. <laughs> and it's a oh, lot of emotion and a lot of change and transition. Yes, without a doubt. And I think when you're comparing, when you're comparing, there I go. Um, but, you know, this little infant that can't do anything for themselves. And then this 12-year-old who's talking about, you know, the COVID, like for our experience, you have COVID and then how is this virus different than that virus? You, you, you kind of start to almost treat them like, wait, you're old enough to be having these talks with me. You can, you don't have to be melting down too. You know? Yes. <laughs> that's so not fair, right? <laughs> right, right. So not fair. Well, Erin, you have given us a lot to think about, a lot of good reminders. Uh, and I hope you'll send me a baby picture when we're finished here. Oh, I will. <laughs> and to close, I'd like to ask you a question that we ask all our guests on this podcast. And it's, it's a question that helps us think about this topic in a bigger, more global way. You know, it highlights our core belief is that children are the world's most important people. If we as a society truly believe this, is there a societal change you'd like to see us make that would make it easier for growing families? Yes. Well, there are so many. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a big question. But tell it, you know, what, what are a couple that are most meaningful to you? Well, I would say, you know, especially when we're thinking about growing families is, you know, more sort of, and I do think that actually COVID has done this to an extent, but flexibility around what we consider as sort of work hours and being much more open to having non-traditional work schedules, non-traditional, you know, sort of gen, quote unquote gendered stereotyped roles in the family. Um, I think it would help a lot in terms of taking the burden off one parent often feeling this need to sort of balance everything. Um, so I think just as a society, being more open to different arrangements um, would help a lot. And, you know, I, I, it goes back again to what we've been talking about, but, you know, I think in schools and in the school day and everything, really taking a little bit more time to acknowledge and sit with children's emotional experiences. Um, I think there's so much pressure, you know, especially by the time kids are in third grade and they're all these standardized tests and right. You know, there's so much pressure to, to make them, you know, perform well on these things. Um, that we kind of lose sight sometimes of all that's going on in kids' lives. And um, ironically, it's so important to actually learn effectively if you're, you know, not emotionally regulated or you're, you know, experiencing something um, really stressful and you're not able to talk about it. But I think we lose sight of that often when there's so much pressure on this um, academic performance. So if there would be more of an emphasis, I think, in schools on supporting children's you know, complex emotional development that could help for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, I think sadly we're seeing more cases of, you know, school violence and, and, you know, harmful behavior. And I think a lot of it is just because of so much pressure put on these children. 
Thank you. Yeah, made so many good points there. Thank you for answering that big question. I'm really glad that you took some time to share with us your thoughts. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I always love talking to you. This was really fun. (laughs) It has been fun. Maybe we'll do it again. Take care. Thanks, you too. We are honored to be able to elevate kids' voices and share with you some of what they share with us. Whether a child's concern is big or small, unique or universal, serious or sure to easily work itself out, it's real to the child and matters deeply. We've come to see that in every letter kids have sent to us over the years, there are implicit, overarching questions embedded within. Do you care? Am I loved? Do I have a place in the world? A place in the lives of the people I love? We hope kids believe us when we say in many more words, yes, yes, yes. Let's all lean in to give kids what they really need and want. More listening, more understanding, and more connecting. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to help us reach more grown-ups who care about kids. And if you'd like to send a comment or suggestion to me directly, please email me at christine at highlights.com.